This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Today, I'm talking with Sue Rabeau, Senior Client Partner, and Robert McHale, Senior Client Partner of Corn Ferry International. We live in an amazing and powerful city, Washington, D.C. Finding the right executive talent for companies that support the government is a big and important issue and a big and important business. Today, we have Sue and Rob joining us from Corn Ferry International. Sue and Rob, first, I want to just stop for a moment and thank you for joining us at Leaders and Legends today. Thank you, Aileen, for having us on the show today. We're delighted to be here. Thank you, Aileen, also. Well, first, before we get started talking about the process, tell us about the current employment climate for executive recruiting in the government market today, government and technology market today. Well, thank you, Aileen. Um, I would say that the current marketplace is uh, pretty dynamic. There's a lot of activity going on. Um, obviously, there's a lot, of, a lot of spending from the government in, in terms of the administration into all sectors, whether it be healthcare or IT modernization, Obviously, defense budgets, intelligence markets are all strong. And at the same time, there's also uh, a lot of activity. A lot of private equity firms are investing in this space. Um, we also see continued M&A activity, uh, merger and acquisitions and consolidation. But all of this is churn, right? And, and market dynamics, it just generates activity. And in the end, you know, leadership is the key ingredient. No matter whether you have the greatest product or the greatest widget, leadership is key. So, Rob, let's take a step back. So from what you just described, the market is hot. The climate is is trending good. So is this sometimes a market indicator of sort of like the financial, you know, dynamic of the market? I mean, is this a, is this a good times in the tech market in government? Um, that's a great question. Um, I'd say the government marketplace is a little different from the commercial realm just because of the funding sources and uh, the, the, the nature of, you know, government acquisition. And uh, it also obviously depends upon which, you know, which administration is in and, uh, you know, where their spending priorities are. So just the, the current trend we're in is certainly very, very, very positive for the government technology marketplace. Um, is it indicative of, you know, a broader economic swing here or there? That's hard to say. But uh, right now, if you have uh, leadership skills and knowledge of this space, you are well-positioned, I think, to do well. Corn Prairie Partners specializes in areas of practice like technology and healthcare, et cetera. For my research, you both focus on government and the technology market. There is a well-documented skills gap for technology skills across the U.S., let alone for the government market. There are more technology jobs than there are talent to fill. I mean, you could pick up, uh, you know, tons of newspapers and articles about that. Do you see this at the executive level? That's a great question, Aileen. Um, I believe that we we are seeing it at the executive level. And there are way more jobs than there are people with the skill sets to, to fill those jobs. A lot has to do with the digital transformation that you hear that buzzword in the market today. And that is the movement to the cloud. It's around data uh, data monetization and data security, and around the movement of uh, 5G and IoT. So it, the companies are all going after the same talent in the marketplace. So it has become a candidate market. And candidates are really able to negotiate what they want from a 
um, from a financial standpoint because there is so many jobs out there and they're probably evaluating at least three or four opportunities if they're in the market. Now, the market's hot. So what candidates are the most sought? I mean, what skill set is we talked a little bit, Rob, you mentioned leadership. We'll talk about leadership in a few minutes. But is there a particular skill set or area that is the hottest? Is it IOT? Is it cloud? Is it blockchain? Is it is, is there an area that is just something that people should invest their time in learning? Alien, I would say that it's kind of a broad stroke on that, um, and that would be that it's around cloud, as I mentioned before, the movement to the cloud, but really around data analytics. Because if you think about the federal market, that data is becoming extremely important. 4G used to be just a mechanism for communication, but now 5G is real-time communication. So being able to understand um, and have skill sets around data analytics um, whether they are structured or unstructured data sets is extremely important. And of course, you asked about cybersecurity. Blockchain and cyber is an important component of being able to make sure that that data is secure wherever that data lies in the market. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. Our guests today are Sue Rabot, Senior Client Partner, and Robert McHale, Senior Client Partner, Corn Ferry International. The Sue and Rob, Corn Ferry is one of the leading executive companies in the country. And according to uh, the web- website I did during my research, uh, topexecutiverecruitingfirms.com, Corn Ferry has been ranked number one. What gives Corn Ferry the competitive advantage? Well, Aileen, I think there's a couple of things that, uh, that set Corn Ferry apart in the marketplace um, I think, first of all, we've invested in the last 15, 20 years in just leadership and leadership evaluation, leadership assessment. We've, we've built you know, world-class analytics and, and other tools that really allow us to, to um, gauge candidate leadership skills, you know, look beyond the resume, look beyond experience, and really develop you know, unique uh, candidate profiles that match client requirements. And that's just something that has really helped us zero in and uh, do a tremendous job for our clients. And then secondarily, I think it's our reach, it's our brand, it's our network. And clearly, I think, you know, we invest in our people. So uh, Corn Ferry consultants know the market, they know the candidates, and they are uh, great at uh, finding the best talent for clients. You're worldwide, right? How big is Corn Ferry? Global company. And we're in every major market around the world. And uh, our fastest growing capabilities now are not just executive search, which we're best known as, but obviously in advisory and organizational development, leadership development, succession planning, really helping uh, to find uh, the best talent for companies across the board. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit further about that. Corn Ferry does way more than executive recruiting. And I think several other firms have gone out there, too. Um, tell us about that. And you brought up leadership. Why is leadership development so important today? Well, I I believe that the leadership development is extremely important for these companies because um, as they they think about going into new markets and new technologies and 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 the way that you need to be thinking differently because we are a global you know mar- it's a global world. And so you have to be able to think globally and connecting with different markets in different countries, and you need to have that leadership experience. One of the things that we do well, as Rob mentioned, was uh, we have the, uh, our own you know, proprietary assessment tool that we use to look at competencies, traits, drivers, 
uh, and experiences of candidates. And why that's really important is we assess them against and benchmark them against a very large database that we have of people that have already been assessed on leadership capabilities, but getting that culture right. So it's not just about getting people into jobs and into companies and, and companies hiring people, but it's more about finding the right cultural fit into these organizations. And that's a really important component of this is making sure that the person that they're going to be bringing into these organizations has the right leadership capabilities and it can align and collaborate cross-functionally into these organizations. So so you're looking at the leadership capability and their ability to be able to effectively work within organizations. So is communications an important aspect of that? Do you develop or have um, you know, skills or um, courses that help with uh, organizational communications, both from an individual perspective and from an organization's perspective? Well, Aileen, certainly I think um, when you talk about communications, I think it's you're also what you're really saying is, is how does how does what are the values of a company? How do companies work? How do they communicate internally? And each company is a little different in terms of culture. And if you look at most executives, they all have good experience. They've all you know been successful in their roles. They've all got industry background. But you know, but why do certain executives, even with those perfect resumes, you know, be not successful within organizations they join? And typically, it's that cultural disconnect, that values disconnect, or that communication disconnect. So a lot of Corn Ferry's efforts are to try and identify those values and cultural attributes of an organization and then match them with a candidate who has the same, you know, the same operating kind of model. And I would add one thing to that, and that was that, you know, we're doing a lot more around um, coaching programs for people about their career coaching. And it's one of the things that I have uh, kind of taken to heart with the candidates that I have in working with my clients is how can we onboard those uh, candidates more effectively into those organizations as we've gotten to know them um, through the search process and bringing them into the companies. And I think that's a really important um, aspect of what Corn Ferry does. I'm speaking with Sue Rabogue, Senior Client Partner, and Robert McHale, Senior Client Partner, Corn Ferry International. Coming up next, we'll talk about how to successfully pursue that executive job you've been wanting. You're listening to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. And today I'm talking with Sue Rabot, Senior Client Partner, and Robert McHale, Senior Client Partner, Corn Ferry International. When an executive from industry comes to you and says, hey, I'm ready for the next adventure, what advice do you give them? In particular, um, do they understand what they want and what drives them and what will make them happy? I mean, is that sometimes a challenge? Well, Aileen, certainly um, we obviously meet executives every day. And um, often, you know, some of these executives are passive. You know, they're not looking, but we've called them for a particular leadership role. Um, And obviously, there are other candidates who are very active in the marketplace. But irrespective, my first question for anybody is, you know, what what, what is it? What what gets you up in the morning? You know, what, 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 what are the ingredients you're looking for, whether it be professional, personal, financial? You know, we need to understand what drives them, right? And so that's really the starting point. And everyone's got a different uh, driver. But uh, we've got to understand, you know, what, what is the environment that they're looking for. And because there's two sides of the coin, right? We've got clients saying, hey, Corn Ferry, find us an executive who can leap tall buildings, you know, faster than the speeding bullet and all those other attributes. Mm-hmm. And we'll certainly do the assessment of do the candidates match and correlate against the selection criteria. 
But the real question is, does that candidate, uh, uh, does, does what the client's offering, does that correlate with what the candidate and the executive wants? So our job is to really look on both sides of the coin and try and make sure that we are you know, providing uh, executives with the roles they're looking for and the environments they are, they're seeking, but also finding executives or candidates that meet the client's needs. So what you're saying is you're almost like a matchmaker coach. And I have found through my career, the best executive recruiters are somewhat coaches and therapists. They kind of walk you through the process and, and make sure that you have a good match because your reputation is really based on finding that great match and making a match that is going to make a very successful candidate experience, both from the company's perspective and from the individual. So, Sue, do you find that, you know, what do you say when you first start talking with, uh, you know, a new uh, executive, either leaving the government or switching technology companies? How do you help them figure out what's a good match? Yeah, I think you're really spot on, uh, Aileen, on this topic, because, you know, I try to get people to think about as Rob mentioned, what they really want to do. And you have some candidates that come in that really have thought about what they want to do. They think about the skill sets they bring to the table. And you have others that have never really had to go out and look for a job, and they're finding themselves now wanting to look for a job, whether it's an acquisition or, you know, an event in their own company, or just maybe a change, and they've been at a company for a long time. And and, and that's another point. Uh, In today's world, People aren't staying at companies for a long time. They've got much shorter tenures at these companies, and it's okay. It's an accepted, and and you have the millennials out there, and some data suggests that they're about 18 months into a job. But I try to get people to really think about what are three companies that they would want to join and why, and really think about that and do the research about those companies and think about the cultures of those companies and, as Rob mentioned, where they want to live and what's going to get them up in the morning. And then think about how do they look at their skill sets as well as their industry expertise and how will that align? Because there's oftentimes the candidates don't realize that some of their you know, industry experience and um, functional expertise can blend into another industry itself and they've never really explored that. And it's a great opportunity when you're changing jobs to, to look at all the different avenues as we're now seeing people move from financial services into tech or government into more technology roles, we see that every day. And I think they need to, we help them think more broadly about that. I bet that's a big challenge for people leaving the military. I know I coached a couple of vets um, with their resumes and having them translate all these very important critical skills that they learned in the military and how to translate that into the private sector. Have you seen that? We have. As a matter of fact, we've had a couple programs at Corn Ferry, and we continue to have a program to help people transition out of the government into the uh, private sector and into industries. And we help them, what we say is to build their brand. Really think about who they are and what kind of brand they want to present themselves because they, the skill sets they bring to the table in technology from a security standpoint or in the data are, are just phenomenal skill sets that can be really utilized in a lot of these other industries, um, and people are looking for those So that's a good question. Okay, so now they know what they want to do. How should they prepare to ace that big interview? Now, during this research for this show, I read an article by your CEO, Gary Bernison, and he said, uh, your Corn Ferry CEO, he described five things to help you ace your interview. Um, Number one was describe your accomplishments, not your activities. What was that? What does that mean? Well, I think uh, Gary's spot on. 
I think uh, candidates and executives, uh, no matter what level you're at, you tend to get into a mode of talking about, you know, your job description, you know, versus what you've already done. And so what we always encourage executives to do is to focus on, you know, just give us the four or five things that, that you made a difference. When you came in, the company was X, the business was, was this, and now you, in three or four years' time since you've been there, what have you done that's made a difference? If you weren't there, what wouldn't have happened? Now, is that on your, uh, Rob, is that on your resume or is that in preparing in your five-minute elevator pitch when they walk in and say, oh, why? Both. Oh, both. Both. I mean, we, we, we often, it'd be surprised, we often have to work with executives at the highest levels just to have them re- reshape their resumes to talk about accomplishments, you know, not, not job descriptions, but what have they achieved? That's what people want to hear about. And, you know, I use a really kind of a silly analogy in this, but I ask people to look at their resume as sort of the top paragraph, which is their executive leadership, is sort of, I call it the treasure chest. And you want to open up that treasure chest and put your crown jewels at the top because many people bury all these accomplishments that Rob mentioned in their resume. And I call it the buried treasure. And if you've got everything buried in the resume and not highlighted at the top of the resume, people may never get to the rest of the resume to see how successful you've been and the accomplishments accomplishments that you've made. That's good advice. Um, so I, I, there's another area that I think is extremely important today. And uh, the way that uh, Gary uh, described it is what gets you up in the morning. And to me, this is passion and, and, and being authentic about being excited about um, the role that you are in or would like to have. Now, how do you translate that to a candidate and and, and and identifying to make sure there's a good match when you are working for a company that's looking to fill a role? Well, certainly in the final analysis, you know, um, our clients are, you know, the, the, the number one focus for us. We have to find them the right leader, the right executive. You know, that, that's, our, that's our primary goal. But having said that, obviously, we also have to make sure that the, this is the right fit for the, for the, for the, the uh, candidate at the same time. Um, but in the end, you know that 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 energy, right? That that belief, that 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 uh, passions word you use, Aileen, is is key. You know that 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 will that will drive success, no matter what the storyline is. If you if you kind of arrive in the morning and you want to take that hill, you know then that that that'll that'll get you you know three quarters of the way. So looking for that energy, we've certainly in our assessment tools have uh, indicators for that kind of, uh, for those mysterious words around passions, very ambiguous, amorphous uh, thing. But at the same time, I think there's also a, uh, over the many, many years we've done this, you know, we, we also have, you know, the, the uh, I guess the insight and uh, to, to, to identify people who bring that, uh, that passion. So there is two other areas. One is, um, Connect connectivity, master the small talk, which, I, you know, I, what, what does that mean, Sue? Um, I think that it's, you know, really being able to engage and inspire people in the organizations and making sure that they're able to take these people along the journey with them to make sure that the company is successful. And, you know, so much of what people do when they come into organizations, it's important for these organizations also in turn to be able to make sure that they're developing their people. And we've touched on that a couple times, which because that's extremely important to the candidates today. How are these companies going to invest in me so that I can be a better leader within these organizations? So mastering that, 
you know, ability to be able to connect broadly across your organization, regardless of whether it's in your group, whether it's affecting other organizations and other business lines, is a really important thing that uh, candidates needs to be, you know, be thinking about when they're going into these companies. So I have probably interviewed 5,000 candidates through my career um, in the high-tech industry, and it never ceases to amaze me the lack of research some candidates come in the door with. I mean, they do more research on, on buying a washing machine than they do on coming in for a job interview. Um, do you find that as, as, well, I found it irritating, but do you find that as a flaw towards being successful to ace the interview? Yes. I mean, I think to your point, this is, you know, this is, the, this is their career. This is you know, potentially their next, you know, several years of their working life. So, you absolutely would would hope that they take the time to do the research, understand the market, understand the company, understand the competition, and really, really come to the table with ideas. I will say that at the executive level, that that's that's typically they're, they're pretty good at covering those bases in general. But certainly, you know, we we always encourage candidates to uh, take the time to make the investment. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. Our guests today are Sue Ribot, Senior Client Partner, and Robert McHale, Senior Client Partner, Corn Ferry International. I have one last question for this uh, segment. Um, what if you gave candidates one piece of advice to be successful and during to ace that interview? What would be your short piece of advice that you would want them to take to heart? Be concise. I find that the, the the biggest complaint I get, even with executives, very senior leaders, is that the, the client will ask them a question. They don't answer the question. They'll go off on some tangents, be down rabbit holes, and then they'll you know just lose themselves in some uh, in some maze of answer. And it's just very frustrating. And it's the number one complaint I get. What about you, Sue? I would say the other piece is be genuine and be yourself. And really think about, you know, what people are asking you, as Rob said. You need to be concise, but be genuine about what it is that you can bring to the table and what you can't and what you really want out of this, you know, new company or new role that you may be pursuing at that company. I'm speaking with Sue Rabot, Senior Client Partner, and Robert McHale, Senior Client Partner, Corn Ferry National. Coming up, we'll talk about finding the right executive for a critical job search. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today we're talking with Sue Rabot, Senior Client Partner, and Robert McHale, Senior Client Partner, Corn Ferry International. In the last segment, we talked about helping candidates identify their strengths and weaknesses in driving passion. Do you have the same type of discovery work when you're working with clients to help them identify the right candidate with the right leadership or skill set to be a success in a role? Yes, we do. And I think that's one of the most important things that we do when we're uh, beginning and leading and kicking off a search with a client is really understanding those critical success factors. So one of the things that we say to them is that at the end of 12 months, um, you're going to come back to Rob or I and you're going to say, boy, you've really knocked this out of the park. 
what will that candidate have accomplished in that role over 12 months? And that's one of the most important questions I believe we need to get out of that so we can set clear expectations and interview candidates accordingly to whether they've actually uh, have the right experiences and drivers to be able to accomplish that role. Rob? Having been a sales leader for years, I mean, that's the qualification process, right? Qualifying what really key features they need to help solve their mission objective. Is, is, it, is that similar to the – you were a sales leader. Is that very similar? Yes, I was a sales leader for 25 years before joining Corn Ferry uh, about six and a half years ago. Um, it, it's really important because, as we all know, anyone can put something down on paper. And as Rob mentioned, you know, being able to really articulate what value you added to organizations and be able to substantiate that and tell stories around that of how you influenced and drove the success of a company is extremely important to these uh, organizations when they're looking to hire for these roles. Well, well said, Sue. Um, I, I would say at the front end of the process, a discovery section with clients where we really have a conversation about what good looks like is key. And and it's interesting when you probe and push about what are the critical you know, success factors, what are the key selection criteria, what are the non-negotiable elements that the person must have and, and why, you know, you, you really end up probably in a different place than where, you, where the client thought they would start. And then, then we layer on top, obviously, our assessment tools, our, our unique candidate profile models we can build. And from that, we really have a good mechanism then to begin an executive search. Yeah, and I'd like to add on to that, Rob. I think one of the things that's really important is, you know, there are times where a, a client really thinks they found the right candidate and we will run them through the assessment process. And after benchmarking them through the assessment, you can find that they might not be the best fit. And I've had some recent examples of that where they've opened their eyes to looking at, a, you know, another candidate um, uh, because after looking at all the data coming back from the assessments, and while this is a one data point, it's important that you look at all the data points when assessing candidates. Well, there is a reason sometimes people have left jobs or, or weren't successful, and sometimes you know familiar feels good. But there's a few changes in the world that have created more uncertainty in the workplace today than the recent seemingly sudden advancements in automation and artificial intelligence. Driving Innovation to help reach corporate goals versus letting innovation pass you by can make the difference of a company existence or not. And I, I think that's sometimes the biggest, you know, identity gap that companies sometimes have in, in searching for leadership. Leadership has never been more important with this changing dynamic environment. Can you talk about the changes you have seen or the need to innovate to stay relevant? And and like you said, Sue, you, you've seen people, you know, companies identify a candidate they thought was a great fit. Is it fall into that realm because of that need to innovate or recreate yourself? I actually have seen a, a bit of a sea change in the last four or five years, uh, which is kind of almost, you know, across all clients in some dimension. There's this push now for uh, this triple threat in terms of executives, right? So they want people to have to have a certain level of technology awareness and might be facile with technology. You know, not, not, not deep, deep technology geeks, but certainly aware of the innovation and power of emerging technology. Uh, they want people to have, you know, the communication skills, right, to be able to communicate um, and understand and be solution-oriented. And finally, the final piece of that stool would be leadership, right? The ability to connect, have those high emotional IQ. That's that triple threat that is in greatest demand. And that's something that, uh, you know, we're, we're finding all clients now are, are looking for these 
attributes in the executives they hire. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. Our guests today are Sue Rabot, Senior Client Partner, and Robert McHale, Senior Client Partner, Corn Ferry International. So let's go back to those skills that are really needed with these changes. You know, we talked about the skill gap. We talked about the need for different, uh, you know, leadership. We talked about the changing technology. But to pull all those together, there's really sometimes a vision gap. So how do you identify leaders with the ability to be able to paint that vision, the ability to be able to lead the organizations towards innovation and really some big cultural changes? I think nothing, you know, is better than people being able to give examples of what they've done because you're right. You could have great leaders that are great strategists, but what they lack maybe is the operational piece, the pillars of operations to to bring that company together and be able to innovate because it takes a lot more than having a strategy. You've got to be able to operationalize that and to get everyone behind you around the strategy and the operations to deliver on that. And I think in today's world, you're seeing more and more people looking at KPIs and how you're doing against uh, operationalizing those plans and, and how customers are perceiving, you know, uh, the way that you're delivering delivering um, to them. And I, you'll see more and more customer success roles uh, going into organizations today because people really want to measure how the customer feels about them. And so you need all of these things to come together. So you know, what you just described to me also has another leg to that table, that fourth leg, which is cultural fit. Because uh, vision and implementing that innovation, that change, can be different depending upon the company. Some very large companies that have, you know, very conservative approaches may be approached a little bit different. Some some companies on the West Coast may have um, much different thoughts than maybe leadership that might be located on the East Coast, vice versa. And so how do you help identify that to make sure that there's a good match? So a great question. Um, and that certainly is a, uh, a challenge, right? If we have a smaller private equity-backed you know, entrepreneurial company looking for a, a CEO, they're going to be very uh, concerned about an executive who spent their entire career in a very, very large company because there's a perception that they're not going to be able to make that transition from the large, well-branded organization with resources to a smaller, more nimble company. In fact, I always encourage candidates, if they can, in their candidate journey to spend time at a larger entity, get some of those best practices that larger firms can invest in, but also if they can, spend time in a smaller, more agile environment, right? And, and build some of those different skills that will make them very attractive to multiple you know, environments going forward. And again, just to have broaden that experience and demonstrate career agility is something that I think all companies are looking for. I've been a technology ex- executive at Oracle, EMC, VMware, and Google to just name a few. And often I was the only woman. And these are you know great companies with great technology, but often I was the only woman sitting at the table and rarely did anybody ever look like me. How do you see companies driving diversity and inclusion in these searches? I would say that diversity and inclusion has become a number one priority for companies today. And every discussion that we have with our clients is they want to get more women into their organizations, in technology. They see this as a gap. 
um, but it is a top priority for them, not only just in the organization themselves, but on the board. So the, the a, a big priority that we've had as well for companies reaching out to us is to get more women on boards. And you're seeing women, you know, this cross-pollinization leading industries going into different industries. I'm seeing women that have served some of the top roles in, you know, with the CIA go into financial institutions for cybersecurity. So it, it will continue to be a number one priority. I think schools will make it a number one priority to educate more women in technology and there'll be more grants um, and things as such to support that. And I think more companies are investing in some of these uh, universities as well to help provide uh, a deeper education in technology for women. What have you done to find more diverse candidates? I I just read a a study by McKinsey and they said they've seen improvements at the executive level a little bit, but really companies have to start at the beginning in the middle to create a more pool of candidates. I would imagine sometimes it's difficult to find, you know, a, a, a whole bunch of qualified diversity candidates. Yes. I mean, there is there is a definite uh, challenge, right, in terms of finding that large pool of of diversity uh, executives uh, for, you know, researchers which are very precise to begin with. When you, so when you factor in an industry background, you know, a, a government background, a, a track record of success, and then you layer on top diversity as well, that obviously that narrows the pool. They're, they're a very small top of the pyramid there. Um, I will say this, though. Diversity and inclusion is not a slogan. You know, there is so much research to indicate that firms that really embrace and have a diverse workforce are so much more productive, so much more profitable, and so much more successful. So the the impetus for this, I think, is now it's real. And you know, I think Corn Ferry certainly is on the forefront of trying to push this. We are doing a lot of a lot of uh, publications and white papers and encouraging companies to to build these 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 more diverse environments from the ground up, right? Start at the bottom and then fill that pipeline. So you brought up boards, and I've read several studies that showed that boards are, companies with diverse boards are, are much more profitable than, than um, the, the, all, you know, the alternative. Uh, have you seen that? We have seen that, and um, we, we're going to continue to see that. And I think that that's why uh, there's such a big push, is, you know, as Rob mentioned, on diversity and inclusion. Um, So you'll continue to see that. But some of the ways that we're really approaching this, too, going out and just trying to find a woman or more women in diversity and in in the workforce is not something you do at the time you have a search. It is an ongoing process. And so when we go into cities and we try to meet with, you know, high power diversity people, it's something that you're doing on a regular basis. One of the things that we are going to be coming up with soon in the Washington area, is having a uh, kind of a C-level networking where we bring diversity candidates together and we allow them to be able to network with their peers um, to be able to help this and, and really see how they can help each other through some of these challenges and share ideas. And I think that's how you know we continue to push forward this diversity and inclusion um, topic that you see uh, every day as you read in the papers. I'm speaking with Sue Rabot, Senior Client Partner, and Robert McHale, Senior Client Partner, Corn Ferry International. Coming up next, we'll talk about the executive interview process and what the next generation can do to climb the corporate ladder. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. 
I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Sue Rabot, Senior Client Partner, and Robert McHale, Senior Client Partner, Corn Ferry International. Many of our listeners are not, may not be familiar with the interview and hiring process. Can you describe what happens after you found that great candidate and the company begins the interviewing hiring process? What should the candidate expect? What role do you play in the negotiation and package? So, um, obviously, the, the the interview process, you know, at any, any level for, for anyone, either early stage, mid-career, or even at the executive level, right? It's it's a, it's always, a, I think, a, a, um, an interesting exchange, right, of ideas and uh, – and um, and getting that feel for the match, and uh, certainly Corn Ferry, you know, we 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 kind of help to make sure that everyone has open communications, that people have the right context set for you know their candidacy, both for the client and for the candidate, and that there's information shared on the front end, so everyone's going into this with a thorough, a good understanding of what the opportunity is and why they're at the table. And then staying in contact with them throughout the process with the client, with the candidate, and certainly making sure that from very early on, we're communicating about compensation requirements, we're setting expectations about about the role. So at the end of the process, it's very smooth. There's no big surprises. And that's now, our job, right? No big surprises. So that's probably much clearer to more senior executives. And I know that you all focus on the C-suite but we have some listeners out there that may be just beginning their career. Um, what advice would you give them to help them climb that corporate ladder or find that first critical role or ace that interview? Aileen, that's such a great question because I, I tend to I, I love working with uh, some of the people that are just entering their career because I've done a lot of mentoring of of, of those uh, younger people, and I and I believe that young people getting into any job or looking for their first job need to think about who could be their great mentors out there and who do they have connection points with because you really need a mentor when you're entering the job force and you really need someone that's going to be able to guide you through the process. I tend to to steer people that are young to organizations that have good processes and are established companies on that first job because you really do get a strong foundation for what it's like to uh, the dynamics in a larger, more established company. And then you can take those processes and skill sets that you learn from those big companies and then be more entrepreneurial into a, a startup. And there's lots of startups that we know, but I think you need that good foundation first. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. Our guests today are Sue Rabot, Senior Client Partner, and Robert McHale, Senior Client Partner, Corn Ferry International. I'm going to switch gears for a moment, um, and let's talk about your backgrounds and how you became su- such successful recruiters. I know, Sue, you were originally uh, in the high-tech industry. We yes. worked together prior to yep. Corn Ferry. and. And Rob, you've been doing this for, I know you've been doing it since kindergarten, but decades. <laughs> um, can you, uh, can, if there's a listener out there that is interested in, in your journey and how to become an executive recruiter, can you share a little bit about what happened and, and how you got into it, Rob? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I don't think anyone, you know, leaves college and they're saying, okay, I'm going to be an executive recruiter, right? So I think it's, you know, you have to have some kind of foundation or career first. And But, but I mean, most of all, for me, why I find executive recruiting just a fascinating uh, kind of career path is you get a chance to meet companies at all different stages. You, you know, you're doing an executive search. You, you get inside the kimono. You get to ask the CEO and the board about their business model, about why someone would want to buy into that business model. 
model. It's just a fascinating you know, journey. And then you're working with, you know, with, with people, right, and with their careers and helping them you know, with really a very critical part of their life journey. And when you are successful and you can make a big difference for a company, and if you think about it, if, if a company hires a wrong executive, it costs them literally millions of dollars. If the executive makes a wrong choice, it can derail their career for you know a couple of years or more. So what we do matters, right? And we do make a difference. I think that's what drives me every day. Rob, you're practicing what you preach. I hear passion coming through on that one. <laughs> Sue, I know you left the high-tech sales and and now you are a very successful executive recruiter. What brought you there? Well, I've had great people like Rob and others that have been in the industry for a long time that have been mentors to me in this. And I think that's really important. But, you know, uh, I love the fact that you're able to change the landscape of companies by bringing great people in. Talent really matters in these companies. And and people matter who want to change, you know, think about their families and their livelihoods. So what we do really impacts the families and the companies, um, you know, in the near term and in the long term. And I genuinely like to be able to open people's eyes to new ideas and new opportunities, as well as companies to think differently about the talent out there and what might drive their success in the long term that they may not have thought before. Because I do think companies need to think outside the box for how they're going to work through some of the challenges and this, that there's so many people after the same talent out there. So how do they really attract people into these organizations and make it more compelling for them? So I've really enjoyed it thus far, and I, 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 I see that I have a long path and uh, future in this. Um, and as Rob said, just the connection point with the people is, uh, is really exciting in this industry. can feel your passion, too. It sounds like you have fun at work. You're, you're matchmakers. We are. We are matchmakers, and uh, it, it is fun. There are day, it's, a, it's, an interesting, um, it, it, it's an interesting field because it's, um, time matters to all these companies and to people. So you really, you know, being time sensitive and being and providing a level of customer satisfaction um, and, and candidate experience is really what's important about what we do every day. As Rob mentioned, if you make a bad hire, it would cost, uh, you know, if I inadvertently had a, a team member make a hire that wasn't a great fit, it wouldn't cost you just six months, not in the federal market. I mean, it would cost you like a year or a year and a half because it takes so long for, you know, the sales process. And so what happens and how you hire matters. It does. And there's a ripple effect if there is a bad hire because it doesn't just affect the person or the company, but it's the people that have been either working under that individual or across the organization. So it, it touches a lot of people if the wrong person's been hired. If there are listeners out there that would like to work with Corn Ferry International as a candidate or to help with a search, how can they get started? Uh, be, uh, thank you, Alien. Be very simple. They can just uh, call. Uh, You're going to um, give your cell phone? <laughs> call. I'm going to call the, 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 the main Corn Ferry number, you know, and, and I'm happy to provide that if you, if you like. And, uh, and also just or, or just email uh, uh, robert.mikhail at cornferry.com. Or you could also uh, reach out to sue.rabo at cornferry.com. And we are out of our Reston office. We have two offices in the Washington D- in the Washington Met area. And so we, Rob and I both work out of our Reston office. And thank you so much for Aileen for having us on the show today. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guests today have been Sue Rabo and Senior Client Partner Manager and Robert McHale, Senior Client Partner Manager, Corn Ferry International. First, 
I want to thank you both for joining us today and sharing your insights on executive recruiting in the government and technology marketplace. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.